Good morning, church family and ministry friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to our online, internet, around the world church service. I'm so happy that you are here, and I, be- I believe with all of my heart that God's Word will strengthen you to be the person that He has called you to be, and also to do the things that He has called you to do. And I know those things are special. Praise God. Today, we're going to begin our service by receiving the holy tithes and offerings and bringing them into the storehouse of the Lord. There's a verse in the Bible from Psalm 35, verse 27, that I would like for you to carefully look at with me this morning. Verse 27, let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause and let them say continually and my friends I would encourage you to let this be something that you say continually in obedience to scripture because it will form within your heart the right framework for finances praise the Lord pastor Stephen what does God's word instruct us to say continually and let them say continually Let the Lord be magnified, who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Now, from an Old Testament perspective, we look back upon the identity of the Old Testament saints as being in the eyes of God in a servant position. And while I know in the New Covenant, we also serve the Lord, we belong to the Lord, the identity is different in the sense that now we are sons and daughters of the Lord. And the Lord has pleasure in the prosperity of His servant or of His children. Now stop and think about the example I'm going to give you. If this actually took place, what would you think? Here's the example. Let's say you're in church And the pastor says, I would like for somebody to stand up and testify about God's goodness. And what if a father stood up and said, I want to give glory to God. I have two sons and they're both homeless and they're living on the street. And I am so happy about that. Now, if you actually sat in the church and heard somebody stand up and give a so-called testimony like that, you would think something's wrong with that person's head. They've got to be messed up that they're actually rejoicing that their children, his two boys, are homeless and out on the street hungry and not clothed properly and all messed up. Something would be severely wrong. I need to let you know that God doesn't take any pleasure in any form of financial lack or financial suffering that you would experience. God doesn't take any pleasure in poverty. So why would you want to identify with something that Christ bore himself on the cross to deliver you from? Mm, Praise the Lord. Now it is true. Sometimes within the hearts of men and women, even those that greatly love the Lord, there can be efforts to maybe try to express that love through external acts. I think about a certain uh, group uh, that it was, I'll just be open. It was the Carmelites back in the 1500s. 
And they had the idea, this would be, uh, I believe it was Teresa of Avila, and you also had St. John of the Cross. They would collaborate, they would talk, because they both loved the Lord and wanted to serve the Lord, but they just thought, you know what? Perhaps we could get closer to God if we were poor and didn't have distractions of the world. So they embraced poverty and they structured what became known, became known as the descaled Carmelites. And that is a word, descaled, that originates from the Latin, brought over into the English, and it basically means you're barefoot, no shoes. Can you imagine going around in the winter? It's 15 degrees. Uh, Fahrenheit outside, you're below freezing, and you're walking around barefoot. <laughs> well, Pastor Stephen, we're holy. Uh, we're not saying you're not holy, but you might not uh, have thought that one through, especially if you ever get frostbite. So, holiness does not correspond to poverty. Poverty does not enhance holiness at all. So you have to eliminate from your life what God does not want in your life. See, Jesus came to redeem us from spiritual death. Yes, came to redeem us from sin and all of the curse of the law, which included what? Included poverty. Poverty's bad. It's bad. Now, if you want to go around barefoot, you know, that's between you and the Lord. But if you get ringworm, which you probably will eventually, if you walk on the dirt enough, and, you know, because what happens is, you know, animals or creatures that are out there, they, they use the restroom. And, and if you step in those little bacteria particles, they're so small, they're microscopic, they go right through your skin and they get into your body, they get into your bloodstream and they produce worms. Oh, Pastor Stephen, then we're extra holy. No, now you're extra sick. And if you don't do something about it, you're going to die very soon, a very painful death as well. My friends, God delights in your prosperity. God doesn't take any delight in somebody being impoverished, having old tore up clothes or not having enough clothes at all because they don't have any. That doesn't make God happy. Would it make you happy to see your own children destitute, not having any food in a, in a mode of starvation? You'd be torn to pieces in your heart. You'd think I'm going to do everything I can to help bring them out of that. Woo, praise the Lord. Now, if the pastor would have stood in the pulpit in the church that I was raised in, and if he would have read this verse and would have said, we need to do this, we need to proclaim, let the Lord be magnified, who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Now, let's all stand up and say that. They would have thrown him out. They would have thrown him out. And you know what? The pastor never preached what we would call the full gospel. Oh, he, he preached repentance, turning from sin, turning to the Lord. But he never taught us about God's financial plan for our lives, that God has a good plan for our lives. And because we didn't know, many of us in the church suffered financially. You can look across the assembly of the believers and... Um, not only were we in the poorest state in the nation, we were in one of the poorest areas of the nation. We didn't, some of these areas, we didn't have paved roads until, you know, the 19, somewhere along in the late 1980s. Whew, just still old dirt gravel roads. And, um, you know, people, you know, still with no indoor plumbing, having outhouses and stuff like that. I'm talking 1980s. 
And I was raised in an atmosphere like that. But thank God that we know that God has pleasure in your prosperity. Mm -mm. Now, of course, God doesn't want you to get covetous. Always keep the right balance. God doesn't want you to love money. He wants you to love him. But as he blesses you with money, you can do a lot of good things with it. You can enjoy it yourself, and then you can enjoy what it does for others. Woo! Praise the Lord. So let the Lord bless you, and be ever diligent to, if you are raised in religion, with a lot of religious tradition, not based on the Word, but based upon, you know, men's ideas of what they think holiness should be, such as walking around barefoot, you know, when it's freezing or things like that. I can understand that people want to demonstrate their passion for the Lord. And I can, uh, I can understand that I don't criticize a heart that would try to say, I'm all out for God. I, I, I can see the motive of that. But in the process of endeavoring to please the Lord, just understand that prosperity is part of the salvation package. And I would encourage you to be bold with your faith and to embrace that. Don't be ashamed or embarrassed of any of the blessings of God, because what you respect is also what you're going to attract. Well, Pastor Stephen, I don't know if I would want a prosperity angel to show up and visit me. Well, if you're not sure, uh, let him come over here and see me. <laughs> Woo, praise the Lord. Uh, I don't know about all that, Pastor Stephen. Well, while you're trying to figure it out, the rest of us are going to move forward and to the fullness of all that Jesus made available for us at Calvary. And that's not just forgiveness of sins. It's the whole enchilada. Mm -mm. Praise God. That way you can have some extra money. Go out and buy some enchiladas. Not only for yourself, maybe for some others. Praise the Lord. Let them say continually. I would like for you to do that this week. Say it continually. Let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in my prosperity. See, so make it personal. The Lord takes pleasure in my prosperity. May he be magnified. And the more prosperity you have, the more he's magnified. He's not magnified by your poverty. He's not magnified by your poverty. Praise the Lord. Some of you, you have not been taught that. And that's why we take time. During the tithe and offering, not to rush through it because it's an act of worship. And as we follow the instructions of God, they lead us further along that path of prosperity. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now, in the teachings of God's word, we are instructed to honor the Lord by bringing him the tithe, which is 10% of all of our earned income. Or if you received it in a, in a way that even wasn't earned, maybe money was given to you, then 10% of that belongs to the Lord. So let's honor the Lord. Let's put him first and let's rejoice in what he rejoices in. Hallelujah. And bring the tithe into the storehouse. And if you would like to sow seed, a special offering, that would be a great blessing as we are endeavoring to put forth a brand new resurfacing of a new parking lot here at the ministry headquarters. Uh, the, the current parking lot, it's got a lot of cracks in it and some areas have de uh, deteriorated to the point where you can't patch it. You can't, you can't seal it. It just has to be, uh, it has to be redone over the right way. 
And that's with new asphalt. Praise God. So that's a $40,000 project working together. We can knock that out. Praise God. So thank you for sowing your seed. Now, if you want to bring your tithes and offerings in online, please visit the ministry website, stephenbrooks.org. There on the homepage, there's a link that says giving as a red heart. You can click on that. You can bring your tithe in right there. If you would like to sow a special seat towards the parking lot, click on the, uh, on the header that's called projects and you'll see the parking lot project and your contribution towards that is a great blessing to the ministry. Glory to God. If you would like to mail in your tithes and offerings, please send them to Stephen Brooks International, P.O. Box 717, Moravian Falls, North Carolina, 28654. Heavenly Father, I pray for your precious people, that they're not just your servants, they're your sons, they're your daughters. And it would grieve your heart to see them in a place of financial pain. And Father, you sent your son Jesus to bring full deliverance into our lives, and that includes financial deliverance as well, health and wholeness in our finances. Father, lift your people up and out of any financial dilemma. Bless them. Let them walk in the light of your word. And I thank you, Father God, that the heavens are open over their lives and the rain of ideas, the rain of the spirit coming down the, as wisdom, as creativity, as solutions to problems and the, the way to get things done. That rain is falling upon them right now. And I thank you for prosperity doors opening for them. Those that would need jobs. I thank you for breakthrough jobs earning more income than they've ever earned at any other time in their life. I thank you, Father God, you're lifting them up. And I thank you that we are in covenant with you in a financial covenant, and you'll never let us down. We give you all of the praise. Now, Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Let's take our Bibles. Today, I would like to talk about the subject of prayer Ignition. We're going to be today in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 1. I would like for you to give careful attention to God's Word because I believe some things will be shared today that are going to cause an ignition, an igniting within your heart to move into some areas of prayer that are very fascinating. Yes, they're very powerful. But they, they also are uh, exploratory in a sense where you're going to have a lot of fun with the Lord. Yes, there's some work involved in the sense of uh, effort being put out, but it's a very joyous thing. And I want to talk about how this new level of prayer ignition uh, takes place. Praise God. And I believe something's going to be ignited in you today. Father, we asked it as we go into your word. We asked that your Holy Spirit would illuminate the scriptures and that we can see them and take them and run with them and enjoy the rich benefits they produce, that they're intended to bring forth in our life. Father, I pray that this message, based upon your word, would bring forth the 100-fold harvest in the lives of your people who hearken unto your word. We give you all of the praise in Jesus' name. We agree and say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught 
his disciples. So I believe, of course, they saw something in the Lord in his prayer life where he had it going on. It's working for him, and it's a little bit of a, a puzzle to them. And you did have uh, several that were previously with John, and they, they saw how John prayed, but they realized the Lord, uh, he, he has his own his own anointing, his own style, and uh, they've never seen anything like his prayer life before, so they're fascinated by it. They are wanting instructions, and he certainly uh, gives it to them in a very concise way that we can use as well. So he said to them, when you pray, say, and then he goes into the what's known in Scripture as the Lord's Prayer. Now, while it only takes maybe 15 seconds to pray, through the prayer. You have to understand it was never intended to be prayed in that fashion because that's not really a prayer. That's just more of a declaration. This, what you're looking at here, is a template where you take the template and you build it out uh, in, the, in the way that the Holy Spirit helps you pray it out. Maybe you would like to visualize it as a uh, you know, skeleton in some of these college classrooms, you know, if you're studying anatomy, they have a skeleton, which is just the frame, but it's never a frame only. There's always, you know, the, the, the tissue, there's the tendons, the ligaments, the muscles and everything uh, layered in. So this is also like a skeletal frame. You're supposed to take, uh, you know, your heart and your effort and the Holy Spirit leading you and then add all of the muscle to it, so to speak, and build it out so it's complete and it's meant to be prayed by subject heading. And if you work your way through each subject heading and you just, you know, you don't rush, you just pray through it. It takes from anywhere from, you know, like 40 minutes. If, if you have a little more time to pray it a little more deeply, it'll take usually exactly about an hour. So anywhere between an hour or 40 minutes, it takes actually to pray through the Lord's prayer. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So that's the first subject heading. You could stop there. You could kind of camp out there and just worship the heavenly Father. Father, I worship you. I know in Scripture that one of your names is Jehovah Jireh. I worship you as my provider. I thank you that your provision will be seen in my life. And God, I just bless you. I worship you. Thank you for all that you've done. So there's that element of spending some time there, coming into the Lord's presence, praise and worship. Uh, by that leading statement, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And it's very easy to have fun and get carried away with that. And before you know it, you've been there for, you know, 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes just worshiping God's name. And of course, he is worthy of all of that praise that you're lifting up to him. And then you move into the, sef the second subject hitter, which would be your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I would have to say that this is usually the, the meat and potatoes of the Lord's Prayer. You're probably going to spend more time on that subject header than any other topic because that's a very vast area. You know, you could pray for your political leaders. You could pray for your president, vice president. You could pray for senators. You could pray for your governor. Uh, then you maybe want to pray for your mayor, local officials, and on and on it goes. And maybe for, for those on the other side of the world or however the Holy Spirit leads you through that because the kingdom of God is very expansive and you're wanting to see the kingdom come or the gospel extend and go into the earth and that influence be there. And so there's a lot of uh, uh, well, you know, literally millions of directions you can go 
in prayer in that subject heading right there alone. So that's why a lot of this is just going to fall back to your own individual prayer time and how the Holy Spirit leads you and guides you in your prayer time. No two times are ever going to be the same. So you just take your time and pray through it. And then you get to a fun part. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us day by day our daily bread. And, you know, back then it's not like they were, you know, pouring all of these preservatives into the bread. It's uh, no preservatives, so it's fresh for a day. And after a day, it goes downhill really quick. <laughs> so you, you want your daily bread. And there is that element of, Lord, you know, I have these needs today, and you bring that before the Lord. But many times people in their prayer life, because they don't have that template within their hearts, maybe they don't know the revelation of the Lord's Prayer, they start their prayer time by putting their needs first. And God knows that, you know, maybe they're just in a place they don't understand a divine order. So, you know, they're, they're putting that first. But here we find it further down the list, which is bringing your needs, your request before the Lord. And then verse 4, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And that latter part of the prayer right there, you know, if you're facing severe persecution, or if there's things where you're really being targeted, and you know, the Lord had times like that. He had times where they wanted to kill him, they even tried to kill him at times, and they, they gnashed their teeth at him. Anytime you see that, that is a demonic manifestation. And so that, you know, there, there's a lot of evil going on with that. And so in times like that, sure, it's very comforting to just to kind of pray that and bring that before the Lord and camp there uh, until you sense that peace, that security blanket of the Lord. And as you ask him to do that, of course, he will uh, lead you away from temptation, and he will deliver you from the evil one. So it's a very powerful prayer. And in South Korea, they, they look at this prayer as this prayer model, kind of a, like a running track where many of the high schools in America, they have, uh, you know, the football field, and then they have a running track that goes around the field. And the South Koreans look at the Lord's Prayer as kind of like a running track. So if you pray all the way through it, maybe it took 40 minutes or an hour, and you know, you come back later in the evening and you have free time, maybe at night, then they, they call it like just getting back on the track because you can pray it over and over again because it's a Holy Spirit inspired prayer and just run another lap. That's the way they look at it. And I think that can be very, very effective. Praise the Lord. Get back on the track and do another one. I do think we see biblical parallels to that. When you look at the temple of Solomon, and then you look at Herod's temple, of course, starting really with the tabernacle that Moses built, you see the beautiful golden altar of incense, and there would be two daily offerings. You'd have the morning offering, then you would have the evening offering. And so that incense, the burning of the incense and the smoke going up was a representation of prayer. It was a, it was a real sacrifice, but it had a lot of symbolic meaning 
that we as New, New Testament saints look back and we realize, oh, the purpose of that was God was symbolizing prayer. So as your prayer is going up in the morning, and if you have time later, yeah, uh, another, another sacrifice, another round uh, around the track. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. It is fascinating. I'm sure many of you have noticed this, that if you do have good prayer time in the morning, and then you come back at night, and you just give the Lord that focus, that attention, and you start to pray again that same day, but at night, it's, it's almost like skating on real smooth glass or perfectly smooth ice. Why? You are reconnecting with that anointing that you already stirred up earlier that day, and you just touch that anointing again, and it doesn't take 20 minutes to get back into it. It might just take two minutes, and you're already back on that prayer anointing, and it, there's just a flow, and it's very, very easy to pray, and that is the blessing, of course, of having two sacrifices, two offerings, two prayer times during the day. Praise the Lord. Now, let's continue on verse 5. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend, and go to him at midnight, and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. So, let's keep the context. The request for the three loaves is at midnight. Very bizarre time. Very unusual time. Oh, but there's a purpose. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut. and My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. And honestly, we can understand that. Yes, even though that's a friend, perhaps even a good friend, that your, your good friend still has to get up and go to work in the morning, just like everybody else does. He, he would like to get his sleep. Uh, the kids, they're going to need their sleep. They've got school and everything like that. So you don't want to disrupt everything because it's going to wake the whole family up. It's not like they had separated rooms. Uh, it was very rare back then. So usually it was just a single room that everybody would sleep in. And the friend just is like, no, you know, let's, let's just deal with this tomorrow. I mean, who's, who wants bread in the middle of the night anyhow? <laughs> but, you know, back in that culture at that time, hosting was a huge, huge thing. Uh, and it c c conveyed a great sense of honor to be able to host somebody regardless of when they might show up. Now, verse 8, I say to you. Though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence. And I would like for you to take your highlighter, your pen, just underline that word persistence. That is a key uh, prerequisite to receiving phenomenal answers in prayer. Yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So there's a point. That if you stand outside and you say, look, I know you're tired and I know it's midnight. I'm sorry about this, but you just, you just keep, you, you know, kind of, you know, knocking, you know, come on, you're already up. Might as well just, you know, there'll be a point. He's just like, well, yeah, okay, I'll go and give it to you. But, but, but so, since I'm up, anything else you need? You, would you like some peanut butter and jelly? Why not have a gallon of milk? Give, give, the guy, give your host some milk. Uh, you're, uh, uh, just have, go ahead and have a nice meal over there. And so this persistence is very, very important. Now, remember, we don't want to uh, twist this. This is a little bit like the parable that Jesus taught in Luke chapter 18 of the widow woman going before the unjust judge and some 
Christians have thought, well, that means we have to just go before God and wear him out until he just finally says, I can't take it anymore. Here's what you want now. Get out of here and don't come back for a long time. No, that's that's not the right context. The Lord's not trying to convey anything like that. He's just trying to say we need to be very, very persistent and stay with it in prayer. There's many evil forces that are out there that you can't see them with your natural eye, but they can clutter things up. They can try to block things. So it's not like God's sitting in heaven just saying, no, I'm not going to do it unless they really convince me. No, God wants to be good to you. God wants to bless you. But there is an element of of overcoming in prayer, and it does take great persistence. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Now, of course, in the Greek, you would see this if you read the Amplified Version of the New Testament, which expands the original Greek brought over into English, and it basically says, in verse 9, so I say to you, ask and keep on asking and keep on asking and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking and keep on seeking and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking, keep on knocking and it will be open to you. So the theme here really is that the Lord is trying to get across to us persistence. Well, now, Pastor Stephen, I prayed the Lord's prayer and I didn't see much happen. Well, just be persistent in your prayer life and be focused in your prayer life. And eventually something's going to move. It cannot be held back. Praise God. Now I'm holding a book in my hand that many of you, you need to add this to your library. And by, by the way, little side note, if you go into a home of a very wealthy person and you were to ask for an emblem of their wealth, where do they take you? Let me give you an example. I went into a man's home one time. His home was probably at least $20 million. And he showed me around this house. His house had an elevator, you know, going up, up and down the elevator, various floors. He took me down to the private garage. He had, he had a Rolls Royce. He had a Bentley. He had a Mercedes Maybach. So he had wanted me to come over and pray for his wife, and I did. And he had all these luxury cars. He had some other things in there, too. He had all this wealth, but the thing that he really wanted to show me that, that to him represented his wealth was not his cars. He took me to his library. Why? Because he, he told me, he said, it's those books that I read to gain knowledge about the Lord's blessing, the Lord's, you know, the Lord's prosperity plan, uh, the Lord's goodness, you know, following the Holy Spirit that's produced all of these things. So it's the library. You need to have your own library. All wise people have access to knowledge, to books, to wisdom through books. And this is a book that you need to have in your library. It's called Reese Howell's intercessor the story of a life lived for God and the reason I mentioned this book is because in this book you see persistence in prayer demonstrated in ways that's it's not very regular today you have to really look today to see uh, some of the crazy stories like this guy had and this man was able to purchase 
three of the most beautiful properties in Wales when each time he, w- he would go after that property, uh, he didn't have the money. And see, some of you think, oh, well, Pastor Stephen, why, pr- why pray for a house? I don't have the money. It, the kingdom of God, it doesn't work like that. It's based upon the currency of faith and how the word and prayer can build up a faith and a release of God's power, that provision will come. The miracle will come. And he prayed in. Yes, he was a giver. He was a sower of seed, so he rightfully would have a harvest coming in. But he didn't just sit back and say, well, I guess that harvest will show up eventually. He prayed like crazy. And during times of recession, when the nation was going through financial lack, he's purchasing phenomenal properties and he's buying them against some of the biggest bidders in all of Europe. And he, he was doing all of this on faith and praying. But when I'm talking about praying, I'm talking about you want to read examples of persistence, Woo! heavy, heavy persistence in prayer. And so he had a phenomenal track record of what we would call miraculous answers to prayer. And I want to encourage you today that If you will be very persistent in prayer, you too can achieve remarkable results in your prayer life that are nothing short of miraculous. Well, Mr. Howells, uh, there with the Bible College that he raised up in Wales, that's what the properties were for, various extensions of the Bible College. And eventually, because Wales, of course, is part of Great Britain, they rolled into World War II up against the military might of the German army and Hitler. And so when Mr. Reese Howells saw the threat of Hitler and saw the power of the, of the military, he realized Great Britain is in trouble like never before. And so he said, we've got, to, we've got to pray. So he shut the Bible college completely down. No more classes, no more teaching. And he and the instructors and the students that decided to stay did nothing but devote themselves to prayer that Hitler's army be overthrown and that God would preserve England, God would preserve Great Britain, God would preserve London, and that God, of course, would preserve the properties there in Swansea, Wales, and there on his properties, although Swansea was heavily bombarded with the air raids from the German Luftwaffe. Yet, nevertheless, his properties never got one bomb dropped on them. And he, he would pray, God, protect the properties. Lord, send your angels. And God certainly did protect those properties. But the Lord revealed to Reese Howells that they must pray as a group of spiritual warriors. They must pray in a way that would they would visualize themselves at the same way as if they were fighting on the battlefield. So they would listen to news. They would find out where the German army was at, and then they would pray just as if they were soldiers fighting. They would pray with that strategy from heaven, and they would go to war in prayer. Wow, praise God. So I would like to talk to you just for a moment about what many war historians refer to as Hitler's greatest blunder. And when it looked like Hitler, when he had started the war and 
the Panzer Division and all of these, you know, phenomenal tanks that the Germans had. And they were just cutting through the, the French line and, you know, they, uh, taking Paris and they're, they're cutting through the, the English uh, countryside. And they're, they're just, you know, they're tearing everybody up. And it looked like they're going to win the whole thing right off from the start. And there in Wales, this man of God was praying, Mr. Reese Howells, and he was praying that Hitler's army be stopped. And I would like to read to you what happened. And it's something that the military historians, they have no answer for why Hitler made this huge blunder, why he did what he did. It makes absolutely no sense. But you know what? He did it. And it altered the outcome of the war. And it's because Reese Howells and those people were praying. This is what took place. A little, uh, little note here. It says, when the war broke out, their prayer meetings at Wales Bible College became a daily event. So the, the Bible College teaching stopped. And this is what they started to do. Every evening from 7 p.m. to midnight. And often later, the students and staff met to pray. Think about that just for a moment. I know it's easy to read that and let those time frames skip by. But think about the magnitude of praying five hours every night with a very concerted group, with a group of spiritual soldiers, and you're in there five hours, sometimes longer. That's a long time to really push hard in prayer. But that's what they were doing. They were praying for Hitler's overthrow. It says every week and often for days at a time, there were whole days of prayer. It seems that God would lay one or another aspect of the war on the heart of Reese Howells or on one of the other prayers and the whole community, the whole group would intercede. And one of the most amazing things that God answered their prayer for was the battle of Dunkirk in May 1940. As Hitler's blitzkrieg rolled across France and the Low Countries, the Bible College prayed that he would be stopped. Now, here is a writing from Reese Howell's own diary, May 27, 1940, 2.45 p.m. He said, it is as much as I can do to believe today. The news which was very negative. The news between the two prayer meetings was awful. Hell upon earth. The next day, they're back to praying again. In the meetings, the prayer was for God to intervene at Dunkirk and to save the, the British soldiers. And as the Spirit came upon them in prayer and supplication, what one prayed at the end expressed the assurance that was given to all. I feel sure something has happened. And my friends, something had happened. On May 24, 1940, Hitler had given an order to halt the armored columns driving toward the trapped British and French troops. There were 338,000 of them trapped. Hitler's got them. Most of them were British troops. They had fled. They had fled from the Germans. Not only in their fleeing had they lost their, you know, their positions. They left all of their weapons behind and they had no guns, anything. And they're trapped on the beach and Hitler's got them. The Germans have them. And for no explainable reason, uh, 
when the German generals were ready to go in there and just kill them all or, you know, have them all surrender and just capture them all, Hitler said, stop. <laughs> he told this man to stop. <laughs> right when the total victory is right there. He said, halt. He said, stop. And the general, all the you know, German generals are like, why? Let's just win the whole war right now. <laughs> but they couldn't override Hitler's command. Mm -mm. Wow. This order remains substantially unexplained to this day. On and after May 28th, in the miracle of Dunkirk, hundreds of thousands of British and French soldiers were rescued. They were rescued. They were not airlifted. They were sea lifted. The British got ships in there and they started getting all their guys off the beach and get all the French soldiers off the beach and they whoosh, got them out of there. Hundreds and thousands of them. Wow. Wow. And so all of those men lived to fight again. Woo! Praise the Lord. Now, why in the world did Hitler make a crazy blunder like that? Because they were praying. Intense bombardment of prayer. Intense prayer. Persistence. Persistence. Hours and hours and hours. Oh, Pastor Stephen, we can't move it. You'd be shocked at what you could move if you gave it some more persistence. Woo! Hallelujah. I see. I see some of the most amazing prayer results coming into your life because of your persistence. Glory, glory to God. Now, I think this whole experience of this flaming fire on the inside of you to be persistent, I think there's an activation for it where somewhere in your prayer life you get, um, you get lit up and it, it's like you know your prayers are moving things. And when that happens... It's like you become a superman or, or you know, ladies or superwoman. And it's, a, it's very, very interesting. I'm going to see if I can give a little insight into it from the natural realm. I would call it from a, a, a sports uh, representation. It's almost like when you become anabolic. And I'm not talking about anabolic steroids, although that would certainly be an extreme example of that. But when you come in your body anabolic, you're in a place where you are in a muscle building process. The exact opposite of that, of course, in sports science would be when you're catabolic, which is not good. That's actually when your body is being torn down. And there's times you can be very vulnerable and your body can go catabolic. So you need to, you need to step in there and do some things to uh, bring healing and nourishment. Example, if you just finished running a marathon. You're going to be depleted. You have been sweating for at least two hours, maybe three hours, and you're sweating out all these minerals, all these vitamins, and all, and all of this stuff, and you're at a level of depletion, not only uh, uh, in the sense of minerals, but also within your, your blood, there's a drop uh, of, uh, you know, certain type of uh, blood cells and so forth, and so there needs to be some very quick refreshing so that you don't go into a catabolic state. When Jesus fasted for 40 days, he had gotten to a point where his body was white, was right on what medically you would call a catabolic edge because it says he hungered. What does that mean? That means that he has no more fat to burn. And he's burned it all up. And that's your body telling you, you're going to have to feed me now because if you don't, 
I'm going to keep burning other stuff up. See, your body designed by God is, is an incredible, uh, well-structured system of surviving because in order to survive, if you're catabolic and there's no more fat to burn, it'll start eating muscle tissue. It'll start eating, consuming your own heart. What's your, why would your body do that? It's trying to, it's trying to get something for fuel. That's called catabolic. Very, very dangerous. And by the way, that's when Satan appeared to him and began that temptation when he was in that very, very weak state where you have a very small window where you have to deal with that or else you could do damage to your body. It's interesting because if you're, like, let's take an example. Let's say you're a skinny guy. And you have a fast metabolism. I've heard guys tell me this. You know, Pastor Stephen, it doesn't matter what I eat. I can't gain weight. If I, if I eat, it's, I, I burn it up within like a few minutes. And I just, you know, I'm going to be skinny the rest of my life. Well, I could understand why they, they would think that because there are, there is genetics. There is body structure, body type, and things like that. But the truth is, is that if you start drinking protein powder drinks and you start with three a day and you eat three meals a day and you you'll feel bloated but the next day you start bumping up the six shakes and you 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 might think if you're real skinny oh I don't have room you might not you force it down anyhow well I feel yucky I feel bloated yeah you probably do and you're, you'll feel like that but you've got to get more calories in so if you've only eating 1500 calories a day and you want to say bye bye to skinny you want to get muscles on you keep eating high protein food and you hit the weights or else you know you're not going to have that strength you have to eat and hit the weights and you know what if you do that for about two months it could take a little longer could take three and a half months and you're working out with a good strength training program under the oversight to guidance of somebody that knows what they're doing that can instruct you right so that you don't overtrain but at the same time so that you don't undertrain. there will come a point where something in your body it, it ignites and you go anabolic and it's like a switch got turned on on the inside of you and suddenly you're like I want a steak where you just had one an hour ago. I want another one. <laughs> I want another cheeseburger. Where you had one earlier. I want another one. And, and, and you, it just, you begin like, you become like a furnace. You start, you could just start eating. And you, it's, it's like muscles start popping out. What happened? You, you became anabolic. And it flipped. And from then on, it's just like, watch out. You're going to have to get some new t-shirts. You, why? You're, you're growing. Your neck, neck's getting bigger. Everything's get, getting stronger. It's very, very interesting. Something clicked. So it's the same way in prayer. If you push, you push. You're persistent. You're persistent. Knocking, seeking, asking. Uh, even, even if the guy's in bed, oh, come back tomorrow. I don't want to get out of bed. But you, you're just so strong in your prayer life, like Mr. Reese Howells, you get to a point, you can, you can move anything that God gives you permission to touch in prayer. You can move it. I mean, it's incredible. It's incredible what you can do. When I was young, my dad would, he would try to take me and my brothers jogging. And, you know, he was in the uh, Air Force for a while. He got out of the Air Force, but he still had some of that, you know, of course, military mindset and thought, you know, it would be good for me and my brothers to jog and be in shape. And I tell you what, I hated it. Every time he'd take us jogging, even if it's only for like a, you know, half a mile, to me it was like agony. I thought, why would anybody want to do this? I felt like I wanted to vomit and throw up. I, I felt awful. I'd say, Dad, I, I don't like this. This is, well, this is not my thing. 
And um, it's just, uh, the whole thing felt terrible. But later, when I was in high school, and I was, I think it's like 10th grade or something like that, um, there was, there was the, the senior track star. And he was, he was real good. He had one of the fastest times in the mile in the state. And for some reason, he and I like met one day and started talking. And, uh, you know, I, I knew who he was. I heard about him. And he said, he said, Stephen, why don't you start running with me? And I thought, oh, I, I could never keep up with you. He goes, no, I'm not talking about racing. It's just like training. Just like training. Why don't you just come out and start running with me some? And um, uh, I just thought, okay, I guess I'll try. And, uh, you know, because he was Mr. Cool and everything, I thought, well, that, that would be fun to get to know him. And, uh, and so he kind of, like, took oversight of me with training. And then the coach noticed I was running with him, and, you know, he was already the track star. So the coach said, well, let's, let's help Stephen along too. And it took a while, but and I'm not really sure when it happened, but there came a point where something clicked in me, and I moved from, like, being a jogger. I moved from somebody that was struggling. I moved to where, like, hey, this is, like, this is kind of like fun. <laughs> and I, then, you start, then you start having longer runs. And then, you know, uh, in, in, in track and practice uh, on Sunday, they call it LSD. That stands for long, slow distance. So you want to get in a long run on Sunday, get your mileage up. And, you know, you go out for 10 or 12 miles, and you run. You, you would run with your teammates. They're also distance runners. And, you, and, you know, because it's so long. And you just you just talk the whole time. Talk and laugh. And I used to think, oh, how could you do that? You're gasping for air. But there came a point I could run uh, six-minute mile pace when training and just talk, tell jokes, laugh, and stuff like that. You know, you put your time in, put your, put your workout in. And then when you go to compete, of course, when you're racing, you can't do that. You have to, you know, you're, you, you are gasping for all the air that you can get. But there came a point sometime in high school in that year where it just something ignited. Something ignited in me, and I, I became a runner. Praise the Lord. And I really, really enjoyed it. And from that point on, it was just a matter of getting faster. But I was, I, I had it. I was hot. Praise the Lord. And really, when you go anabolic, particularly in strength training, you're like hot. You're, you, you can even sense it or feel it. And there's something about prayer where if you keep pushing and you keep pushing, you light. And you get ignited, and you know you are. You're like, hey, I'm getting pretty good at this. Hallelujah. I, I, you may think, I may not be Reese House. I, I may not be uh, shaking a, a, a nation, but whoo, I mean, you're, you're doing some stuff. And not only that, there's nowhere else to go but up. Woo, praise God. And it becomes very, very exciting. And I would have to say this as well, that one of the greatest motivators is progress. You know, if you're trying to get in shape and you can see that there's a change and you can measure change, you're like, hey, it's happening. What does it do? It motivates you. Why? It's working. So it's the same way in prayer. When you see God's moving, this thing's moving, uh, then it's like, man, I'm not missing my prayer time. I'm going to really start to lean in and I'm going to hit it really hard. Mm -mm. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. And so you realize that persistence is just normal. And so what you decide to do is you put that workload in. Yes, is it in a sense like a workload? Well, it, it's, it's, there's joy in it. 
there's great satisfaction in it, but to get in there and really get going and yeah, there, there can be, um, some sacrifice in that, but I tell you what, um, when you're lit, you're just like, Hey, this is what I do. Anyhow, this is your thing. Mm-mm. And so you put that workload in and you embrace perhaps what we could call the price tag of persistence in order to be persistent. You at least have to be there. Knocking, seeking, in prayer. You're there. Mm-mm. Glory to God. And things, my friends, will shift and change for you. Thank you, Lord. Here's a great example. Genesis chapter 32, verse 24. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, we as New Testament believers, we look back on this. We see that this was a real wrestling match. And Jacob is exerting physical strength. He's sweating. But you have to understand that in the Old Testament, those were types and shadows. In the New Testament, we have more of a direct substance, which is prayer. This was a representation of prayer. What it would be like, in a sense, to go all out. To really push yourself in prayer. And he wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now think about that just for a moment. That this is something where he pushed so hard he wrestled all night long. Now myself, um, I don't know. I, I, fi- I would find it hard to visualize myself wrestling all night long. After a while I'd be my, I might be like, well, <laughs> You know, why are we even doing this? <laughs> what, what are we wrestling for anyhow? <laughs> but, but in prayer, um, you may think the same thing. And you may think, well, how in the world could Jacob or anybody really pray? You, you actually pray all night and you see the sun coming up. What, what could motivate a person to do something like that? These are scenarios where you're lit. And when you have been ignited, this is not like, you know, you're, you're trying to agonize through something. Why? You're pushing, and you're dialed in, and you're in it. And it's not like you'd rather be doing something else. No, you're here, and you're on it because you know you're going to move this thing. So there's a tremendous excitement, and you're actually happy to be there. And there is an element where, yeah, the time moves. It moves, and you get through it. Next thing you know, wow, the sun's coming up. Wow, praise God. And I think, I think there are those times where you have to jump in there and, and really exercise a level of persistence that sure could be beyond a normal scenario. But you have to also understand we're living in a, in a culture today where what maybe we would call normal prayer persistence has so fallen off the side that there's very little prayer going on at all. So nevertheless... When you're faced with any form of stagnation, then what you need to do is show a greater exertion of persistence, and you'll move it. You absolutely will move it. And this ignited prayer life will refuse to tolerate any form of stagnation in your life. You just got too much of the fire of God in you. He, he's lit you, and you, can, you know you can deal with it. And so you do. Praise the Lord. I think about the time that Bishop David Oyedipo uh, from Winner's Chapel there in Nigeria, he talked about years back when his church, 
had only 1,000 members. Now, there would be some pastors that would probably say, that's enough for me. I, you know, I, I'm happy with 1,000 members. But he knew that God's plan for him included a much larger impact. So he went before the Lord in prayer and fasting. And he said, Lord, with all of the efforts we have made and all of the organizing and all of the praying we've been doing, we should not be stuck on this plateau of just, you know, only a thousand member church. He said, if we continue at this rate, he said, by the time we get to 10,000, he said, I'll be a hundred years old. So Lord, what's going on here? And he set himself to be very persistent in focused prayer and fasting. And it was during that focused time that the Lord spoke to him on one of those days of dedicated prayer and fasting and said, go outside of the church building and walk out a certain distance. And he did uh, away from the church building. And the Lord said, now turn around and look at the church, look at the building. And when he turned around to look at the building, he went into a vision and his spiritual eyes opened and he saw something that greatly shocked him. He saw that the devil had fabricated some form of a veil, a huge veil and had dropped it over the entire church so that those in the surrounding community and the, even the unbelievers, it's like the church was invisible. They couldn't even see it. It's like it was veiled for them. Even the purpose or the intent of the church, nobody, nobody even knew what, what it was about or anything like that. And, and the Lord told Bishop Oyedipo, this is what the enemy has done. He has blocked and he has veiled your church from having an impact or having an effect. That's why you're stuck. On this level. But with that anointing and with that vision came the empowerment to deal with that situation. And Lord showed him what to do. And he spoke to that evil power and he bounded in the name of the Lord. And that thing was broken just like that. And of course, as you know, today he uh, has gone way beyond a church membership of 1,000. They now have over 400,000 members. Uh, they have a seating facility of 50,000 running about eight services uh, every Sunday. And he, yes, he teaches every service. And they also have plans to build a facility that will seat 100,000 of the church members at one time. That way they don't have to have quite as many uh, services. Praise the Lord. More efficiency. Praise God. But my friends, you have to jump in there like Jacob did. And if it would mean wrestling, perhaps even until the sun comes up, well, it's, it's your destiny. It's your life. And I want you to see it from a perspective, though, not as something like, well, I've really got to have to have an iron wheel to do that. No, we're not talking about mental willpower. We're talking about you're lit anyhow. And so you're ready for the assignment. You, you're like Reese Howells and these people. You're just, this is part of who you are. You pray. You jump in there and you pray. You don't put up with these things, these areas of defeat or the stagnation. Not when you know you can break through. Woo, praise the Lord. Glory to God. I see some amazing things unfolding through your life because you're going to push through. You're going to push it through. Praise God. Now, let's go to the Gospel of Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verse 12. Praise the Lord. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God.
And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. Praise the Lord. All night in prayer may seem like one of the most outrageous things you've ever heard. But when you are lit on the inside, when you are ignited, when you're spiritually anabolic, <laughs> you're like, let's go. Woo! Glory to God. I got a coffee over here. I have a Red Bull over here. And you realize you're not running on caffeine. This is not like we're going to try to, you know, have, you know, it reminds me of a job I worked many years back where um, the manager of the company, he had, he had a whole line of Red Bulls all lined up. He was going to drink one every hour. <laughs> Can you imagine doing that? Every night. He had a whole bunch of them all lined up. And he's, he's drinking them. Drinking them, you know, just wired all the time. Uh, that, that's not good to do for your body. But you know one every now and then. That, that's okay. Uh, but I'm saying you're, you're not so much running off that. Although if you need a little caffeine, you know, whatever. Okay. But I'm trying to say you're already lit. Praise God. So you're going in there and you're praying. And you can go all night because that fire is burning in you. So this is not like we're trying to display some type of superhuman iron wheel. I had a former church member, very nice guy, good, a good man. And he, he really liked doing these ultra long distance bicycle races. And they were, they were grueling. Uh, there were some that were literally through Death Valley in California. Others were in some other countries that he would travel to. He had a very specialized bike. And you would have to ride for almost two days. Now, you're constantly trying to eat. You know, you're carrying on a backpack various forms of food and, and liquid. But uh, you don't really have time to sleep. You, don't, you hardly have time to go to the bathroom. It's just jump off your bike, run to the bushes, get back on your bike and white because there's a race. Uh, so it's, it's a tremendous ordeal. And so it doesn't matter if it's raining. You keep going. You keep on going. And I talked to him and he said, actually, although... It's, it's very grueling, and you don't sleep. You don't sleep at all, not if you want to place high. So it does take that iron wheel. But he said, truthfully, the most difficult part is not the lack of sleep, because eventually you're going to get some sleep. The most difficult part is not pedaling literally up mountains, and you're, you're sucking for air. He said, the hardest part is sitting on that bike seat nonstop for 48 hours, pedaling the whole time. Because, you know, the, the uh, anatomical structure of your body, you've got those little bitty bones in there. And you're sitting on a little skinny bike seat, about as skinny <laughs> as this book. <laughs> and you're hurting. If you're not used to it, you're hurting after 30 minutes. And even when you build up a tolerance to it, when you are, uh, he wasn't a pro rider. He was, he was amateur. He was, he was up there, though. But it takes it takes years to build up a tolerance to then build up those little tiny bones and little tiny muscles where you can uh, get used to that. But but after a day, you're in pain. After two days, you're in extreme pain. Mm -mm. So he would be a good example of somebody that you know, could push through it and do it. But that's not what I'm talking about. This is totally different because some of you are thinking, Pastor Stephen, I don't I don't have that type of a, uh, you know, personality to, you know, like be this iron wheeled person. I'm not a, you know, triathlon person, you know, the triathlon in Hawaii, which is a, 
uh, starts with a two mile, what, 2.4 mile swim. Then you transition straight into a 112 mile, 12 mile bicycle race. And then you transition to the final easy part, which is a 26.2 mile marathon. You do the whole thing nonstop, ideally. We're not talking about stuff like that. We're talking about a fire that's lit on the inside of you, and the Holy Spirit is uh, he's touching that, stirring that, and you are cooperating with that, and you're just praying, and you're, you're flowing through it. And the minutes are going by, an hour goes by, two go by, and you're just like, well, Lord, the fire's burning. I'll just stay at it. There's an anointing. Mm. You're praying, and you're seeing in your, in, the, in your mind's eye that thing being moved. And you're praying, and you're, you're, you're praying strong, too. I tell you what, you can move it. You can move it. Hallelujah. This man was flesh and blood, just like you and I are. Glory to God. And they achieved amazing results. Praise God. And I see you doing the same thing. Somebody might say, well, Pastor Stephen, I've, I've received prophecies, and I believe that God will bring it to pass. Good. I do too, but you better jump in there and really pray over that thing. You better cover that thing in prayer, cover that prophecy in prayer, because the enemy is going to try to block, the, the enemy is going to try to hinder. That's just his job. That's just what he does, and he's, he, he's consistent at what he does. So pray and really push and be very, very persistent, and, and should you have the freedom? Maybe you have the weekend off and it's Friday night or something like that. Or maybe you're watching this on Sunday and you don't really have to be at work early on Monday. And you just think, you know what? I think I'm going to go for it. I think I'm going to give it a shot. Well, then, who knows? It wouldn't surprise me one bit that you would pray all night long and just push until literally you saw the sun come up. Woo! Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Now, we see here, of course, that Jesus did that. We know that Jacob did that. And so there is the natural element. There are times if I'm going to pray late at night, and if I have the ability, if, if I can get a little nap, maybe an hour or 45 minutes before I go into that, sure, I'll, I'll do that. Because, you know, if you can prep for it a little bit, that does help. And yes, your body will need some fuel. So if you need something to drink or if you need a little snack, that's okay. Grab something, but then keep, get right back in it so that you don't lose that flow, that momentum. Praise the Lord. And most importantly, I would say in these type of sessions, if you go all night, is to do what is the hardest thing for some people to do when they tried to come to maybe like a meeting or they try it, which is to what? Which is actually to pray. Wow. Hallelujah. So many, so many, they, they want to go over to the piano. Pastor Stephen, I just feel we should worship the Lord. No, no, we need to pray. We're here to pray. You, you had all day to worship. <laughs> you can go home tomorrow and worship all you want. <laughs> but see, they, it's not that they want to worship. It's just that they, they are so unaccustomed to praying <laughs> that they don't really actually know how to start doing it when it comes time to do it. And so they, they come up with all kinds of things. And I used to, when I, was, when I was in my 20s, I would go to a Friday night prayer meeting there at the church and the church had about, I don't know, maybe 10,000 members. And out of a 10,000 member church, we would have about five people show up for the uh, Friday night 
all-night prayer meeting. Most of them were grandmothers, Pentecostal-type grandmothers that, that were prayers. Um, and then there was myself. And you might have an occasional somebody else drop in. But anytime, usually, there was an occasional somebody else drop in, they would always try to get over on the keyboard. They would always try to, like, do anything but pray. And we would be like, no, we're here to pray. The senior ladies uh, under the pastor's authority were like, we're, we're here to pray. We're here to pray. We're not here to, you know, do all. No, we're here to pray. Praise God. So I would encourage you, just do that. Well, Pastor Stephen, I feel like I, well, you, you don't really need anything else except just grab your Bible, grab some water, and just, boom, go pray. Get alone. Go pray. Mm -hmm. I think I'll just lay out and look at the stars. No, pray. Pray. When the Lord was up all night, he continued all night in prayer. In prayer. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to worship. Well, then have a worship meeting. <laughs> but call it a worship meeting. Don't call it a prayer meeting if you're not praying. Mm -hmm. But if you want to see these miracles and you want to see this phenomenal stuff, you're going to have to be persistent in prayer. Yeah, yes, there's, there's a place for, for worship. There's a place for praise and all of that. But um, be careful. Your flesh will try to cheat you out of really the workload you need to carry in prayer. So just just do it. Just just do the praying. Praise the Lord. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. And I believe you will. One more example. First Samuel chapter 15, verse 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel. And he cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel prayed about this situation of Saul, the rebellious king, because God's going to change some things up. And Samuel prayed all night long. How did he do that? He, he just he had a very vibrant prayer life. Woo, praise God. And I think what's fascinating about Samuel is not only did he pray all night long, but in the morning, he just kept on going and went right into the day because that it, there was something that he was going to accomplish. Verse 12, so when Samuel rose early in the morning, because he cried out to the Lord all night when he rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel saying Saul went to Carmel. So what he's going to do is he's going to catch up with Saul and he's going to have a conversation with him, discuss with Saul about his rebellion, his disobedience, his failure to execute the, the enemy of God's people. And so it's actually going to end up where Samuel, the prophet of God himself, is going to have to do the act. And he certainly does. Verse 32, then Samuel said, bring Agag. King of the Amalekites here to me because Saul was supposed to put him to death and he didn't do it. So Samuel is going to take care of some business. So Agag came to him cautiously and Agag said, surely the bitterness, the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Oh, praise God. I believe that all night prayer meeting that he had, that time of crying out to the Lord all night, 
He was strengthened with the power of God. And the next day, the next day he wakes up and just right into the day, right into the day. And he takes care of business and he deals with that wicked king Agag. Mm -mm. And so the enemies of the Lord are subdued instead of being tolerated like Saul was willing to do. So there is a place through this very prevailing prayer where you're very persistent. You step in and you push and push in prayer and you're going to get it done. Even if the king himself didn't get it done, still got done. God rerouted it and did it through his prophet. Yeah, it was a messy job, but it got done. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So there is a grace, a strength that will come. Now, there are times you're going to need a little extra sleep through endeavors like this. But the Holy Spirit, he, he structures and organizes your life. And God blesses you and rewards you when you pursue him and seek him in such diligent ways. Praise God. Praise God. I see you breaking through. And because of your perseverance, I see extraordinary answers to prayer being done in your life that, that when people hear about it, they'll, they'll be like, are you sure? I've got to see it for myself. And they'll come and find out that it's true that you prayed a miracle into manifestation. Praise the Lord. Lift your hands. I want to pray for you. Father, I pray for those that are watching that you light them right now on the inside with the flame, the burning flame of prayer. Father, even as Reese Howells was an intercessor, praying your kingdom forward and accomplishing literally exploits of things that just others couldn't figure out how he did it. They knew that he had a connection with you, but they couldn't, they couldn't replicate it because they didn't pray. But Father, I see your people really locking on, really locking on in prayer. And refusing to accept any form of stagnation in their life. Now, I thank you. I thank you, Father God. I thank you for this fervency to pray. Even sometimes. Even sometimes, perhaps. All night. Touching them. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. My friends, if we don't do our part, it can lead to discouragement. It can lead to frustration. There are some Christian sites. They're, they're constantly uh, posting prophecies. A prophet or a prophetess, they'll get a prophecy and they'll say, this is the, this is the word for the week. Or, this is your prophecy for the day. And it's something very beautiful and lovely that God's going to do all this wonderful stuff for you. And, you know, when I look at some of that, it almost reads like a, like a horoscope. Uh, and, and then, of course, another week goes by. Nothing, nothing changes, nothing happens, a month goes by, nothing happens. And I'm not saying that it's not good to uh, share prophecy, which in its basic sense is for edification, exhortation, and comfort. But if you don't tell people to get in there and do their part, you can, you can prophesy to them and give them a thousand prophecies. And they'll just sit there on the shelf gathering dust. And eventually people start to get a little frustrated because they're like, hey, hey nothing happened that I'm, that's being told to me. Well, that's because they didn't tell you that you need to be persistent. And you're going to have to get in there and pray. Mm -mm. And so that's the rubber meet the road that I think has escaped 
or eluded a lot of the evangelical church, even a lot of the Pentecostal Christians, because if you drift from the roots, if you drift from the ancient paths, or basically if you drift from the word, you're going to get out there and you're going to find out that square peg won't fit through a round hole. It won't, it won't fit. So you're going to have to embrace that workload of prayer. But again, when you're on fire and you're lit, you're just like, Lord, I, bring it to me. I'm ready for it. And you, and you engage. You engage. You're there to meet the Lord in heavy prayer. It's just what we do. Woo! Praise the Lord. And if you're on fire, you've been lit. You, you know that. And you're, you're happy with that. <laughs> I think some others have got lit with some other things. Praise the Lord. But the flame of the fire of the Spirit burning within you and this knowing God, uh, you, can't, you can't substitute that. You can't. Uh, it, it's, it's taking you again into the gold standard of what? Of answered prayer or proofs. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Amen. So it's happening. Stay plugged in and push in deeply. Praise God. Now, for those that are watching today and you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, Jesus died for you to redeem you from your sins, to receive his eternal life. All you have to do is turn from your sin and look to him in faith and he will save you. Praise God. If you would like to do that, pray. This prayer from your heart. Pray it right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, but you died to save sinners like me. Jesus, I turn from darkness. I turn from sin. And I come to you. Save me now. Wash me with your precious blood. Write my name in your book of life. And from this day forward, step into my life and lead me and guide me. In the way that I should go. Jesus, I take you as my Lord and Savior right now. In your name I pray. Amen. And amen. Welcome to the family of God. Let's take communion together today as a church family. Grab some unleavened bread. Grab some grape juice. Woo! Praise the Lord. Stop and think about your life. Maybe before you got saved. Maybe after. Shh. Of the times you stayed up all night doing goofy stuff. <laughs> Pastor Stephen, I watched that entire movie series. It was seven movies back to back, and I stayed up all night long. Oh, now you're just saturated with that movie. The Word of God's a million miles from your mind. Your destiny is cloudy, but oh, you know all about that movie. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. And your destiny sits over here stagnant. But you spent all night, all night, watching movies. God bless you. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah. But now we know that to burn the midnight oil is to spend time with God in prayer. Pastor Stephen, I can't sleep. I just haven't been able to sleep. Well, just get out. Of, if you can't sleep, get out of bed. Go pray. Well, if I do that, I fall asleep. Well, fall asleep praying. Hallelujah. Maybe you get healed, get up, be able to sleep good. Amen. Praise God. Amen. But just push. Go for it. Experiment. Try it. Mm -mm. And again, I'm saying if you, if you keep doing it, you get lit. You get anabolic. And then on. Whew, watch out. Praise God. Mm -mm. Sky is the limit.
Father, thank you for the bread and the juice. We bless it through this prayer. We set it apart as holy. We thank you that this is now the body and the blood of Christ, our Savior. Father, as we receive the body of Jesus, we thank you for your infallible word. We thank you, Father, that throughout church history, biblical history, there have always been men and women that could get a hold of you and get an answer to prayer. And so, Father, this will not be a faithless generation. We will rise up, take a hold of your promises, take a hold of the inheritance of what you have assigned to us, and refuse to sit back and just allow stagnation to remain. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you, Father God. We will not live on that realm. We will rise into the fullness of the calling of what you have for us through prevailing prayer. Father, we give you praise. We receive the body of Jesus now. In his name, amen. Let's receive. Praise the Lord. Mm -hmm. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus. Father, if we have committed any sin, we ask that you would forgive us. Wash all of our sins away with the precious blood of the Lord. We ask, oh God, that you would lead us away from temptation. We ask that you would deliver us from the evil one. We thank you for keeping us safe and sound. We bless you, O oh God. We thank you. We thank you for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We give you praise, O oh God. We thank you for the privilege of being able to approach your throne of grace. Mm -mm. We thank you, Father God. We give you all of the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's receive. Praise the Lord. Well, my friends, God bless you. Be sure to hit the spiritual gym. And when the flame's burning real strong, just see where it carries you to, particularly at nighttime. Thank you for watching. I'll see you back next time. Bye-bye.